Welcome to episode three of Introduction to English Linguistics. In the last episode, we talked about morphemes and we talked about what morphemes were. We talked about free morphemes and bound morphemes. We talked about derivational and inflectional morphemes. In addition to those terms, you should also by now be familiar with terms such as prefix, suffix, infix, circumfix. If you aren't, take a moment to check the textbook again. Today, we are going to talk about allomorphy. Now, allomorphy is the phenomenon in which a morpheme has more than one allomorph. And you might be thinking, allomorph, that sounds familiar. And it should, because you might remember from your sounds course the term allophone, which you would remember was a variation in the realization of a phoneme. An allomorph, in the same way, is the variation in the realization of a morpheme. Let's think about this some more. So, to illustrate allomorphy, I'm going to be using the inflectional past tense ed. On a piece of paper or talking to yourself, how would you say the past tense of each of the following words? Walk, jog, pant, run, hit. You should come up with walked, jogged, panted, ran, and hit. Now, I just said I'm dealing with the past tense morpheme ed. So why do all those things sound different? Let's ignore ran and hit for now and just concentrate on walk, jog and pant where we would have got walked, jogged and panted. If we were just to look at the endings and if as a first step to that we wrote those things using the IPA, we would see that walked would be written with a t, jogged with d, and panted with e, d. And we can do this with many other words. So for example, we can have jump, jumped, hike, hiked, so both of those with t, like walk. We could have climb, climbed, with d, like jogged. And we can have wade, waded, with id like panted and what we would see is that these three allomorphs so these three different ways of saying the morpheme past tense ed all occur in a particular situation so you can't just use them randomly or they don't just occur randomly so walked if we think of walked and jumped and hiked What does the sound before t have in common in each of those words? Now remember the sound, not the letter. So walk, jump, hike. You're right, they're all voiceless. So whenever we have a voiceless sound as the final sound, we're going to have the past tense allomorph t. What about jog and climb? What do they have in common? They're both voiced. So whenever we have a voiced sound, 
we're going to have the allomorph d for past tense. And what about pant and waded? Shouldn't that just be pants and waded? Well, no. We might think it should be pants because t is also voiceless, or it should be waded because d is voiced, but that's not how it works. When a word ends with t or d, so an alveolar stop, and it is inserted, and so we get id. Okay, so those are your main past tense morphemes, or your regular past tense morphemes. But what about our words like ran and hit? Well, can you think of other words like run that change in the past tense? That's right, you can have swim, which becomes swam. When that happens, when the pronunciation of a vowel changes in a word to make it past tense, we call that ablaut. Okay, so run and swim becoming ran and swam are examples of ablaut. And then what about hits? There are other words like hits that don't change in the past tense. So you can say, I hit the boy yesterday. Um, but you can also say, I put the things on the shelf yesterday. That's again, past tense. And when that happens, we say that what we have is zero morpheme. So now you should know what allomorphs are and that we can have zero morphemes and ablauts. again of our walked, jogged, panted, our t, d, id. The choice of, well, of which of these allophones we used depended on the pronunciation of the preceding sound. Okay? And whenever we have this case, whenever we have a case of the choice of an allomorph being predictable, based on the pronunciation of an adjacent sound, so it can be a sound before it or after it, we say that what we have is phonologically conditioned allomorphy. Now, phonologically conditioned allomorphy does not only happen with past tense ed, it also happens, for example, with plural s, so dogs, cats, and horses, which is has the same conditioning elements as um, past tense ed in terms of the voicing it happens with the indefinite article so we have an before a vowel and a before a consonant so an eye an elephant or a leg a dog a tiger okay and we also have it for um some derivational morphemes so if we think of the derivational morpheme in we might get im before bilabial sounds, so we'll get impossible or immature. Uh, we might get ill before words that begin with L, like illegal, or er before words that begin with R, like irresponsible. And we might get in in other conditions, like inexpensive or independent. Okay, so in all of these cases, we have phonologically conditioned allomorphy. Another type of allomorphy that we can have is lexically conditioned allomorphy. And this happens when the choice of allomorph depends not on the sounds that surround the word, but on the word itself. So, 
example of lexically conditioned allomorphy would be the plural of words like child, so children, and ox, oxen. Now, we would expect if they were regular for them to be child and oxes, but because they're not regular, we end up with children and oxen. And there's nothing about these words that can predict this for us. Because, for example, the plural of box is boxes, um, and that looks just like ox. So there's nothing about the phonological form or the morphological form that predicts this for us. It just depends on the words. Um, Lexically conditioned allomorphy also occurs when you have things like sheep becoming sheep as plural or hit to hit. Um, those are lexically conditioned. There's no way we can predict that happening. Hit to hit is, of course, a past tense. There's no way we can predict that happening. Okay, it's just based on the word itself. And there are always other words that look like them that make us realize, no, this is um, just the word itself that's doing this. Another type of allomorphy or another type of conditioning that we can have is morphologically conditioned allomorphy. And this is when the choice of allomorph is determined by a specific morpheme, but not by a phonological fact. Okay, so if you think of the morpheme sume in words like consume or presume or resume, um, if we add shun to that, we don't have consumption or presumption or assumption. We have consumption, presumption, assumption, resumption. And that's because when we add shun, that morpheme acts on sume and makes it become some. So it's morphologically conditioned. You can also have um, morphologically conditioned morphemes or allomorphy in words like proceed and procession and recede and recession and concede and concession so here we have seed becoming se yeah so proceed procession concede concession so those would be morphologically conditioned allomorphy there's one last really important term i want to introduce to you before i end this podcast and that is suppletion and that's when the allomorphs of a morpheme are phonologically unrelated so they don't look or sound anything alike Um, and that happens very rarely in English but it does happen and a great example of that is the verb to be so the past tense of be is was so I was and that doesn't look anything like be Um, and so we can say that's suppletion another example is go Um, when we have went, I went, that's suppletion. With be, of course, am also is an example of suppletion, is. And then we also have things like good, yeah, and becoming better. Those don't look like each other. Those are all examples of suppletion. So I hope now you know about allomorphs um, and the different ways that allomorphs are conditioned and about terms such as suppletion and ablaud. Thank you for listening.